Our scripture reading today is uh, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended in the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended from far above the heavens, all the heavens, that he may, might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity, the faith, and, the, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried waves and carried about by the wind of, of doctrine uh, by cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes, rather uh, speaking in true truth and love, we are to grow up in every way to, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, is, it, it, which it is equipped when every part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Here you go, Kyle. All right. That is the passage that we are going to be looking at this evening in Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up, get your Bibles open, get them in front of you. So that way, as we look at this passage together, you can see where it is, where I'm coming from and what it is that we're going to be talking about this evening. But it's a really awesome passage of scripture, really powerful and uh, there's more happening in this passage of Scripture than we have time to look at together this evening, and so I'm going to do my best. We're also going to have a time at the end in communion as the body of Christ uh, together, so I want to make sure that we leave time for that as well. But I'm excited to look at this passage with you. Last week we had Joel Wildeson with us, one of our missionaries. I'm preaching this week, and in the month of August, we're going to be out of the book of Acts, but don't worry, we're getting back to Acts in the fall. But tonight we're going to take a brief pause from Acts, and we're going to look at the book of Ephesians, which I think dovetails together really nicely with what it is that we've been learning over the past several months, which is that we are all called, right, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, which is the series that we've been in. And tonight we're going to look at our giftedness as individual members of the body of Christ and how every single one of us is called to ministry. That every single one of us who is a believer, if you are a believer in Christ, that you are called by God to ministry. We are all ministers as the body of Christ. Do you believe that? And if, if, if not, I'll convince you of that by the end of the night because it's in God's word. And so I just want to encourage you to get involved to get involved. Don't just be hearers only, right, but also doers of God's Word. That's what we're encouraged to do in James, that we would be doers of God's Word, not just hearers of God's Word. So fortunately for me, I had the privilege of growing up in church. I can't remember a Sunday that passed without me being in church. For that matter, it was usually Sunday morning, Sunday evening, right? And then 
mid-Wednesday or mid-week Bible study, and if you were, like, really good, you had Sunday school before church even began. Like, I lived in the church my whole life growing up, and there's good and bad things that come with that, right? But mostly good, and it really was a privilege for me uh, to grow up in church, to have the opportunity to be a part of the church from the time I was a child up until right now, and I know I still look like a child just because I can't grow facial hair, you know? I know I still look like a child, but I'm an old man, in my heart. I'm an old man in my heart. <laughs> but I was fortunate enough to grow up going to church, whereas there wasn't ever a time I can remember where I wasn't in church. But I also had the distinct privilege of being a pastor's kid. Yeah, I loved it. I ate it up. I don't know how the rest of my siblings fared with that, but I loved being uh, a pastor's kid for the most part. There's also challenges that come along with that. But I quite literally had a front row seat to many of the trends that have impacted the church over the years. I've got to see what God has done in the church over the past 31 years of my life. And I had a front row seat to see all of the trends that came and went, as I'm sure that many of you who have been in church for a long time have seen things come and go in the church, right? Some of those things are good, and some of those things are bad. I can remember growing up listening to DC Talk on a cassette tape, right? Yeah, I'm so thankful that somebody knew what I was talking about. I would take like a pencil eraser, and I would rewind it. That's how I would rewind the cassette tape, right? And so I would listen to DC Talk as a kid on cassette tapes. They were my brother's cassettes, but I, yeah, I remember cassettes, okay? I do, right? I'm dating myself here, as some might say, right? I can recall when VeggieTales first came out. Like, I remember, not the VeggieTales light version that we have now on Netflix, but like the real stuff, like the real VeggieTales, okay? I frequently remember going to, some of you will remember this, some of you won't, but just to kind of help you give the picture of like what it was that I grew up in, I can remember going to Hackman's Bible Bookstore. Okay, this is awesome. I feel like I'm amongst my people here. All right. I would go to Hackman's Bible Bookstore, which was off of MacArthur Road in Allentown, and I would sit in the little kid area and watch the most recent version of VeggieTales as my mom would pick up the latest Sunday school curriculum, or she would be picking up flags to wave in worship, because that's the kind of church I went to. You know what I'm saying? And then my dad, as a pastor, would be over in the book section, and he would be looking at uh, the pastoral leadership books, trying to find some of the latest trends uh, that pastors should be aware of, right, as they lead a church. And then much of my teenage years were spent listening to Switchfoot and Reliant K, not playing Pokemon, wasn't allowed to do that, wasn't spent reading Harry Potter, couldn't do that, right? Much of my teenage years were marked by things I wasn't allowed to do than it was things I was allowed to do. And I remember, you know, my equivalent of those things was reading the Left Behind series, right? Or, or watching the Left Behind series movies, which scarred me, like, a little bit, right? Like, I would come home sometimes, and there would be nobody in the house, and I was convinced that the Lord took my parents and I was left. Like, I knew it. I just absolutely knew uh, that the Lord left me behind. So watching those movies always terrified me and gave me a healthy fear 
I'm not sure if it was healthy, but it motivated me to get my life right with God, right? So needless to say, as you can see, I was a pretty odd kid. I continued in that behavior. I'm still odd, but I was a pretty weird kid growing up as a result of growing up in that weird, strange church culture that I think many of us are pretty familiar with. One fad in particular that at the time I was unaware of, but now looking back, I am convinced has done more harm to the church than good, was something called the church growth movement. It was the church growth movement, and maybe you're familiar with this trend, and it really has impacted much of what our experience is in church today, right? Because church is much more of an experience, right? It's what is your experience when you go to church compared to how are you participating. And so really this trend, this fad, this movement, whatever you want to call it, the church growth movement has impacted much of how you and I experience the church today. The church growth movement was designed to help pastors take proven principles from successful churches and grow their church in size and in influence. This emphasized the skill of the church leadership, and ultimately what it did was create spectators and consumers of the congregation as opposed to people who were using their God-given gifts and talents and abilities to build up the church. It created consumers and spectators out of the people who were sitting in church and experiencing the production. As a pastor, my father was a victim of this trend, and I can quite literally see how it destroyed him in ministry. He would often compare himself to pastors of mega churches and felt discouraged by his inability to take our little church on the outskirts of a small town to the next level of church growth. While he never verbalized this to me because I was just a young kid, I now see that my dad must have felt like a constant failure, all because of this trend of growing your church in size and in influence. You know, there's this pressure that comes with being in ministry in the church, and that pressure is to grow the church. And as we can see from this passage, that growth is critical, but not the kind of growth that we've come to think about. Real church growth is not measured by the size of the church, but by the maturity of the believers, right? Real church growth isn't the number of people or butts that we have in seats, right? That's not where real church growth comes from. It comes from the maturity of the people who are in those seats. That's where real growth happens, and maturity only happens when each member of the body of Christ is doing its part to build up the body in love. The only way that we grow as a church is if we grow together in maturity and build each other up in love. That is the only way that we grow. Sure, we can try to implement different strategies to bring more people into the church, but if we aren't growing in maturity as the body of Christ, we aren't growing at all. We might just have a good show and a good production and some good worship and a good message, right? That's great. That's wonderful. It brings people in. But if we're not growing in maturity, then we're not really growing. So real growth, as we'll see in this passage, comes 
from us together as the body of Christ maturing. And when we recognize that, what we'll see is that we all have a role to play in the church. So I want to take a moment and I want to look at this passage and I want to look at the source of those gifts that we have received so that we can each play the part that God has called us to. So let's together look at the source of the gifts that God has given us. We read about this in Ephesians 4 verse 7. Here's what it says. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture that I think you and I could read as believers. I'm going to read it again, and then we're going to look at it more closely. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Paul begins this chapter that we're reading here, chapter 7, he begins this chapter, forgive me, chapter 4, he begins this chapter by talking about unity. Now, in verse 7, he shifts from talking about unity to talking about diversity. It's important to understand that unity does not mean uniformity. We don't all need to look, act, and function the same way, right? So, Unity does not mean uniformity regarding how the body of Christ functions. There are different members of the body of Christ, and each one is different from the other, and its purpose is all for the building up of the body of Christ. This diversity is made clear in this verse by Paul as he begins with a but. He talks about the importance of unity, but, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This but reveals that we are all one in Christ and that we've all received a different gift package, that we all have something to bring to the table. From these verses, it's made clear that every believer has a gift given to them by grace, that if you are a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, that God in his son, Jesus Christ, has given you a gift of grace. None of us go without that. Every single one of us who is a believer, and I'm emphasizing the importance of being a believer, but if you are a believer, that you have received a gift from God in grace, and then we are to utilize that gift according to the measure of faith that we've received from Christ. So every single one of us has a gift, and we are to use that gift as God has given us a measure of faith. This is not saving grace. Instead, right, so we were all saved by grace, right? But this isn't saving grace. This is serving grace. Grace given to you to serve God and to serve the body of Christ. Grace given to us by Christ in the form of a gift for the purpose of serving the body of Christ. By understanding this passage correctly, it prevents us from doing two things. It prevents us from overestimating the gift that we've received, and it prevents, uh, prevents us from underestimating the gift that we've received. Not everyone is gifted with everything needed to build up the body of Christ. Instead, each part in working order is critical to the proper growth of the body. 
ministry isn't just reserved for the people who can play guitar and sing, right? Ministry isn't just reserved for the people who can get up in front of people and teach God's word. We are all ministers of the body of Christ, and whatever gift we have received, and you have received one, whatever gift you have received, you are to use that according to the measure of faith that God has given you. We can see the same idea throughout Paul's teaching in the New Testament. For example, in Romans 12, 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Again, we read more about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these, speaking of the gifts that God gives, are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Even Peter picks up on this idea in his writings, where in 1 Peter 4.10, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Having been in the ministry, not just growing up in the church, but having been in the ministry for several years now, I've quickly realized that I am limited in what I'm able to do. I'm hoping that you'll catch on to that sooner than later as well. <laughs> that I'm limited. I, I, I can't do everything that needs to be done, nor can you do everything that needs to be done. God is doing incredible things in the life of this church. It amazes me week after week to see the people that God brings in. People who are incredibly gifted in much greater capacity than myself, certainly. People who are gifted in so many incredible ways in their work, in their jobs, whatever it might be, able to teach, able to encourage, able to serve, able to organize ministries, and able to lead. God is doing incredible things in the life of this church. He's bringing new people in on a weekly basis. I've had the opportunity to see people come into the doors of our church and get saved and their lives transformed by Christ. God is doing amazing things, more than any one of us can keep up with. There's plenty of work to go around. You know what I mean? Like, there's plenty of work for us to participate in. There's plenty of work for us so that we can all have a part to play in what God is doing Understanding that we are all gifted remedies the effects of what I talked about earlier that came from the church growth movement by doing away with the idea that ministry is only comp accomplished by a select, talented few. Instead, if we understand this passage correctly, it means that we are all ministers of grace and tasked with stewarding the gift that God has given us. Being encouraged that we've all received gifts and recognizing that the source of those gifts is Jesus, I would like to turn the attention to the value of the gift that you have received. The value. So the source of that gift is Jesus. That's what we read here in this passage. Now I want to talk about the value of the gift that you have received. I'm excited about this a little bit. 
because I want you to know just how valuable you are to the body of Christ. And hopefully as we work our way through this, you'll understand the value that you can bring and just how important your gift is. So let's look at the value of our gifts. Ephesians 4, 8 through 11 says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, that's us, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So I want to ask you, have you ever honestly considered the value of your gift? I'm not talking about how important you feel your gift is. I'm talking about what your gift cost. What your gift cost God. You know, this can be a challenging passage to understand as we read through it. I was actually talking to Gary at the beginning. It's like a one long run-on sentence, and it's so easy to get lost in what Paul is trying to say. He's so excited about what God is doing in his church that it's so easy to get lost. And so this can be a challenging passage for us to understand, but it is essentially saying that Christ died not just so that you would be saved, but so that he could give you eternal purpose. Christ didn't just die to save you, but he gave you eternal an eternal purpose. How awesome is that? That it's not like you're, he just saved you and now it's like, okay, now I guess I just wait until I go to be with him in eternity. No, he saved you and he gave you a purpose. Not just a purpose that has no meaning or only provides for you some kind of satisfaction for this life, but he's invited you and I in to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. He's invited you and I in to be a part of something eternal so that we can build up together the body of Christ. If we are the body of Christ, if we are believers, we're going to spend eternity together. Forever. I hope you can deal with that. Right? But seriously, if we are the body of Christ, we're going to be together for like a really long time. Like forever. And the things that we invest in each other now will last and eternity. It's impossible for us to even comprehend the reality of that. But God has given you an eternal value and purpose. The gift that you have been given was bought with the price of Christ's death. Don't diminish it. Don't diminish the gift that God has given you by thinking little of your gift or thinking that God hasn't gifted you. That's not possible. That is to say that somehow Christ, after descending to the lower earthly regions, what we'll talk about in just a minute, and then ascending to heaven to the highest rule and authority, that's like saying that God is like dishing out our gifts, and then by the time he gets to the end of the line, he's like scraping the bottom of the barrel, and he's like, sorry, that's all I got left. I'm sorry, that's it. No, like 
This is Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of God with all resources at his disposal, and he says, here, I died for this. Your gift cost Jesus his life. Don't diminish the gift that God has given you. He won it in his victory over the grave, and he gave it to you so that you might in turn use it for him by building up the body of Christ. Therefore, how you use your God-given gift has eternal value. With this idea in mind, let's look more closely at these verses so we can gain more of an understanding Paul says, therefore, meaning in light of everything we've talked about so far, and then he begins to quote from Psalm 68, 18, and he draws this parallel between God's victory over the enemies of Israel in the Old Testament and Jesus' victory over death. When Paul talks about Christ descending, Paul is speaking of Jesus' incarnation, And the best way for us to understand what Paul means is to actually use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, stepped down out of heaven. This is actually considered to be the humiliation of Christ. The fact that the God of the universe would have to become like one of us so that he could make it possible, that he could make a way for us to be in right relationship with God. Christ humbled himself so that way in his humbling of himself, God could exalt him to the highest place so that he could fill the entire universe, that Jesus is right now currently in authority over all things. He tells the disciples right before he leaves, he tells them to fear not, right? Because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Use your gift to build the church because Christ with his authority has given it to you. And because Christ has all authority and resources at his disposal, he has generously shared the spoils of his victory with us in the form of of the gifts he's given us. There is no wriggle, wiggle room to feel as though you've been overlooked or slighted. The God of the universe has given his life not only to save you, but to give you gifts that you have a responsibility to steward. To say otherwise is to diminish Christ's victory. Paul then goes on to identify the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the shepherd teachers. These are among the gifts that he mentions. These are gifts in the form of people that God has given the church to equip the body, 
These are equipping gifts. We no longer have apostles or prophets. That's why we have the Word of God. You can read about this earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. They're foundational gifts. The apostles and the prophets are foundational gifts. You can't build on another foundation. You can't create another foundation, right? They are foundational gifts, so we no longer have apostles or prophets. They laid the foundation, but what we do have is evangelists and pastor teachers. We don't have a word there for the Greek, so they put pastor and teacher or shepherd and teacher, but it's actually one, pastor, teacher. These are all speaking gifts. They are given to the church to proclaim his word so that the entire body might be properly equipped to accomplish its God-given purpose. That is the role of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the pastor-teacher. There are several places in Scripture where there are lists of gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4. Each list is different and therefore incomplete. However, God has given us hues of similar gifts to paint a beautiful picture that only he could create. So with this in mind, it leads us naturally to my final point. We know the source of our gift, the value of our gift, but what is its purpose? The purpose of our gift. There are actually several purposes for which God has given us gifts, both positive and negative. First, we read in Ephesians 4, 12 through 13, that the reason those gifts were given was to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, that you are to be the ones who are doing the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Our gift has been given so that we would be united in faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that we would become mature and that we would become more like Christ. This is only accomplished when you are being equipped through the teaching of God's word. Don't go to a church that doesn't teach the word of God. Don't do it. It's not worth your time. I'm not being a jerk, but it's the teaching of the word of God through those who he's put in place to preach and to teach. It's the teaching of the word of God that equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. It's the teaching of the word of God that allows us to be built up in the faith so that we can attain to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Don't go to a church that doesn't teach the word of God. Go to a church that teaches God's word. If we're not being equipped by the word of God, we will not have unity in the faith. We will certainly lack maturity, and we will fail to become more like Christ. This is why it is critical that we don't just make up what it is that we're doing here but that we are people of God's word. And through being equipped by God's word, you are then able to do the work of the ministry that God has called you to. That's the first purpose of our gift, is so that we would mature and become more like Christ. The second reason, the second purpose that we were given our gift is found in Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. 
This goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of my message. It is so easy to get caught up in the latest trends of church culture. Unfortunately, I've seen many people led astray by the latest theological trends or teaching. And I have to admit that I cringe every time I hear about the latest YouTube video watched or the current podcast being listened to. I'm not saying that they're bad things. They're not bad things. But if you aren't equipped with the word of God, if you aren't equipped by sitting underneath the teaching of God's word, inevitably you will be tossed about by every wind of doctrine and by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. We are equipped so that we might be ministers who together are becoming more like Christ and so that we will resist false teaching that threatens the growth of the body. Paul finishes this section as we prepare our hearts this evening for communion, but Paul finishes this section by saying, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. It's interesting because we aren't actually quite able to catch or capture what Paul is trying to say here. It's better explained not just as speaking the truth in love, but truthing in love, meaning that we are people who practice what we preach in community with one another by using our gifts. All of us doing our part so that we can all be built up in love. So I'm asking you, please, don't withhold your gift from the body. It's the only work worth doing. It's the only work that will last. It's storing up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy it. Please, don't withhold your gift from the body. Remember the source. Remember its value and remember its purpose. We need you to get involved. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, God, for your word. God, I thank you, God, that you didn't just come to save us, but God, that you came to give us a purpose. God, that you invite us to be a part of something bigger than just ourselves. God, that you give us value, eternal value, and Lord, you allow us to be a part of your plan of salvation. God, you have been working from the beginning of time up until this very moment, and Lord, we are now praying for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in this church and in our lives. God, that we would use the gifts that you have given us because we would recognize what it cost you to provide them to us. And God, that we would be motivated, Lord, by recognizing the source of our gift, the value of our gift, and the purpose of our gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.